1: That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes.
0: ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Radio.
1: Good morning, and welcome to Franchising in You, a production of Franchise Foundry. My name is Paul Segreto, I'm your host every Saturday morning. As we share information and perspective to help individuals understand all aspects of exploring, selecting, and starting a franchise business. I'd like to thank Rebecca Monet for joining us last week on Franchising and You. Uh, Rebecca certainly shed light on how individuals select a franchise and how candidates utilize special, specific technology solutions, such as her company's spot-on profile, which determines franchisee-franchisor compatibility and predicts uh, performance. Learn more about Rebecca and her company at ZoricalProfiles.com. And if you missed last week's show, it's available along with all past shows at www.blomptalkradio.com franchising and you. Franchising and you is brought to you in part by the national boutique law firm Spadia Liana, representing both franchisees and franchisors. The fine attorneys at Spady and Mariana help walk franchisees through every step of their journey into business ownership, also helping franchisors navigate the Mariana federal and state regulations, keeping them on track to grow and support their franchisees. Learn more about Tom Spady and his legal team at www.spadylaw.com. One of the most difficult management challenges facing franchisors today is defining franchise territories in a way that minimizes cannibalization but doesn't leave the market underserved. Franchisors who do this well set the franchisees up for success. So when a franchisor has an idea a specific market would be ideal for development, you know how can they be assured all criteria to successfully developing a market is firmly in place as franchisees start selecting locations within that market? And who better explain the fine art well, maybe the science of exploring a market, than Sherry Sanchez, principal at Retail Solutions. Sherry, welcome back to Franchising in You.
0: Thanks so much, Paul. I appreciate you inviting me to join you and your audience today. It's a real honor to be here, and I hope to, that some of what I'm going to share with you is, is going to be of value to your listeners.
1: Well, uh, it, it certainly is. As a matter of fact, the last time you were on the show, uh, we identified the various terminology around selecting and leasing a specific location i know we got some um, good responses back from people saying that they found it very helpful um so today let's go to what should happen i guess prior to site selection uh in exploring a market so why don't we just start out right to the meat of it you know what are the key criteria uh in exploring a market
0: well you know when you mentioned um you know, brands who are trying to figure out where, do they, get, where they need to go. Um, we actually get approached a lot with that very question, um, and it's, it's the best place to start when deciding where to grow before you start picking out spots. Um, but for those people who aren't really sure about what we do in that process to get started, the, the big answer is it all starts with finding highest potential locations and opportunities. All this is determined um, through the use of GIS, which stands for Geographical Information Systems um, and studies uh, related to GIS. In layman's terms, a GIS study is basically taking data about top performing units and analyzing that data in great detail to understand not just the physical character, characteristics and geographic aspects, like um, you know, is, it, is this position too close to a river or is it at the foothills of a mountain range so it's not really gonna reach the people around it? Um, is, does it need to be on a corner? Um, does it need to be near other types of, of, of real estate for synergistic reasons but even more importantly that we look at the cultural geography which includes um, you know consumer uh, the consumer monetary spending patterns how much they spend um, also the consumption patterns what are they spending it on and how frequently how far are people willing to travel uh, to get what it is that they need and they're buying and so on so this information is, gathered, it's analyzed, and scrubbed by trained professionals. Um, got, a lot of people actually have degrees in just this one field um, that are taught to draw conclusions and provide th- provide things like models, statistics, and thematic maps, um, get, telling the story of what the data means. And what's really cool to me is that the models they run from this information actually are forecasted out five to ten years in the future, so what you described just a moment ago um, is that you and I were talking about, about making sure that a property is going to be successful, not just today, but five to 10 years from now, um, and making sure those market conditions are sound, you know with certainty when you're looking at a market that there's some scientific reasonableness that's, maintain, that's going to make it um, likely that you're in highly viable option for you uh, to be successful for years to come. Um, we, we talk about it minutes over miles um, a lot of times. Um, You know, how long it takes you to get somewhere for a convenience-based reason. Um, That stuff also is taken into consideration. So um, that's kind of the high-level look of of how to get started. And that goes for whether you're looking at it from a country perspective. Um, We we help brands grow into countries. We just did a study for the entire country of Mexico for one brand and broke it down into um, territories and, and regions and sections and markets Um, from a a master brand development sequencing all the way down to uh, dividing up territories for different franchise um, multi-unit developers, and then all the way down to the single franchisee, one-unit operator as well.
1: Very interesting. You know, a lot of people don't think about uh, anything beyond the norm. I remember uh, back in the day, we won't go back that far, But whenever a franchisor was starting to map things out, and they were working with a commercial broker, we brought out a whole bunch of maps and, you know, kind of guesstimated. Okay, is this going to be a one-mile radius, a three-mile radius? And I remember by the end of the day, uh, there was circles all over a map, and uh, and basically that was the uh, the way it was all thought out. Uh, Or worse yet you know, you had four franchisees already in a market that potentially could have 12 and you start putting the circles on the map and realize, Oh my God, if this one was just a mile over this way, we'd actually have two markets and not one and franchisors soon realized, you know, if we don't do this, at least in some type of scientific fashion, we're going to be actually under, um, under saturating the market, so to speak, uh, are underutilizing the market effectively and sometimes uh, if it's not done correctly you have two locations a little bit further away that a competitor could actually come in right between them and actually cannibalize uh, both of the franchisees markets on either side of them and a competitor's market on either side and of course you know population trends are, are a big component traffic patterns so many people say, oh, this is a great location. And so, well, you're an early morning location and you're on the side of the street where the traffic is coming home uh, at the end of the day. It, it, People will not take those extra couple of minutes to go across, go into their parking lot, go back down, make a U-turn, come back. It's it's not going to happen. And, of course, in a city like Houston, uh, where I'm at, you have a lot of natural and man-made barriers, bayous and streets that, that end and start up again, and of course, you know, that all needs to be taken into consideration. And I've been privileged to work with uh, your company, Retail Solutions, um, and we've seen, you know, some of the market uh, assessments. So I'd like to take kind of a deep dive uh, into the various uh, components of the assessment. But if you would, if you could just generalize, you know, what is a market assessment,
0: Sure. So um, when we're doing a, a, a market assessment is basically making sure that um, the territory, once it's been identified, actually um, where within that territory and how the overall performance of that marketing territory are going to be um, behaving now and into the future and how that fits with the brand. It's amazing that all those things match and marry. Um and it all starts with evaluating the existing store operations, um, the best performing units that a brand may have. So we start there to identify within that that particular unit where are those customers coming from? Who do they look alike? Um, we 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 want to get the best look alike um, model um, figured out that we can. So we're going to look at everything from. Their phys- physiographic characteristics across um, several database examples. we're going to look at their sphere of influence, and these things include like how old are they? What gender are they? Um, what's the population distribution overall of that type of person? How many of them are there within the market? Um, what's their income level? Are they educated? Um, uh, the breakdown of of race or ethnicity? Sometimes that comes into play with culturally how people behave in spending money and socializing. Psychographically, what are their personality traits? Do they, what are their personal values, attitudes, opinions, um, interests, and hobbies? Willingness to travel um, and lifestyle. If, if we're in a very tight urban market like um, Houston, for example, um, people don't want to hop in the car um, and have to sit in traffic for 30 minutes to go three miles. Um, So, you know, convenience becomes a factor in that. That's a good day. (laughs) That's a very good day. Yeah. And and on top of looking, once we've identified all of those um, primary customers, um, we're actually going to then look at where, um, uh, sorry, we're going to look at basically taking um, the GIS data that we have, plugging that data into it and finding and mapping out, um, in a market, exactly where those people are and, and figure out how to reach them in their sphere of influence. Um, we're going to run a competitive analysis, trying to find all the co- competition in the market. Where are they located? How much saturation do they have? Would we be um, going in and, and competing in a market where nobody wants to spend any, another dime on a hot dog and we're selling hot dogs? Um, is it which would never happen in the U.S., right, by the way. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. um, right, probably it, not.
0: <laughs> it, yeah, and in and, and addition to that, um, and, and finding out, you know, where um, the competition is, is there enough room for us to enter the market? And if so, how much, how, how much of the market share could we capture? And how would we compete against that? And so we're going to take um, also the studies that, um, you do as business operators and franchise owners, um, listeners, we're going to use your information to tell us what you think your business projections are going to be, where, how you're going to market and identify these customers that we're telling you, uh, what, what's your plan for that, how you're going to reach them, because all those things come into play. Um, sometimes in a market, retail and restaurant space, as it exists physically in the marketplace, may not line up ideally with what the analytics tell you where you need to be. But it happens to be where the retail and restaurants and things like that are, so people are just used to traveling there. And that's actually another important factor to know is what's the difference? Is, is there a situation where I should wait for something to be built in my area that I need to be in? That the data and the science is all telling me this is it or should I take the risk that everybody and there's enough of people willing to do it for a long enough period of time to sustain my business traveling to where retail and restaurants exist today, where there's space available and physically on the ground. That information is then also overlaid with basic market information. How much is space renting for? Um, How much space is available and vacant in the market? What are the rough construction costs um, that people are seeing on a per square foot basis for um, traditional vanilla box, retail space. Um, those kind of factors all come together to help us create a formula and, and put together a full map um, from beginning to end of how to take each step along the way to make a good choice about commercial real estate. And um, there's very few companies uh, out there that do this in-house, that have these resources in-house like I'm blessed with retail solutions to have. Um but it's a key component and critical um, service that we provide so that at the end of the day, we are no longer playing in the world of opinion. We are now playing in the world of mostly science. And, um, there's, and there's good reasons that um, businesses, you know, tend to thrive based on good science.
1: Yeah, excellent. Uh, yeah, definitely in the world of science. And while we're mentioning it, Let's remind our audience about your organization, Retail Solutions, also a sponsor of Franchising and You. Retail Solutions helps franchisees locate, negotiate, or lease or purchase the retail space, building site, or build-to-suits best suitable for their new business ventures. Retail Solutions represents national and regional retail and franchise clients wherever their business growth leads them. You can find Retail Solutions on the web at retailsolutionsre.com. Uh, Sherry, we actually have a question for our audience. Um, I recently signed a lease for my business and the term is five years with a five-year option. I was thinking, should I have just negotiated a 10-year lease so I don't have to worry about renewing as five years can easily fly by, or is a five-year term with an equal renewal option more beneficial?
0: Well, from your perspective as a business operator, a five-year term with a five-year renewal is actually been more beneficial, and I'll explain why. From a landlord's perspective, for him to protect his investment, he wants you in a lease as long as possible and committed for as long as possible. Unfortunately, um, 20% of businesses, new businesses, are going to fail within the first year of opening, and by year five, 50% fail. For your risk, you um, It it makes sense that focusing on the first five years of health and and then having the option to renew is basically it's your option. The landlord at the end of that five-year term can't tell you to move out, can't tell you that he's going to replace you with somebody else. It's your option to exercise. And you're not tied in if in your five-year you're like, you know what, the profits aren't there, I'm tired, I think I want to try something new. You have the decision to make and the flexibility to make without the liability of being tied to that extra fifth year. So in my world, um, with, with the clients I represent nationally and internationally, our focus tradi- typically is to do a five-year term with five-year options. And we typically want as many options um, to back up the initial term as you have in your franchise agreement. So if you're signing a 15 or 20 year franchise agreement, we wanna make sure that you have equal amount of options to, to go all the way through the end of the term with that franchisor. Um, this way, you're not in a position where you have a lease in place, but you can't operate the brand any longer, um, or you're not in a situation where um, maybe sometimes wars and, and, and brands go through these refreshes and they have these these resurgence of in the, in, uh, popularity um, and attractiveness in a market, and you miss out on it because, hey, you only had five uh, to ten years here that was negotiated, and it's, you're – and you're hearing in year 10 that they're about to do this whole great new refresh remodel, and you're not going to be there at that space for it. And you're going to have to start all over if you want to stay with the brand somewhere else and spend all that money you did on build out all mm-hmm. over again. Um, it, was, yeah. it was a huge investment.
1: Absolutely. It's a, that's a great response. And I'll just add one thing things change over a 10 year period of time. Okay. I mean, market trends. New shopping centers, growth goes in a different direction. And if you don't think 10 years is a long period of time, I'll remind you that the uh, um, the um, iPhone came out just a little bit more than 10 years ago. We appreciate all questions to franchising and you. Just drop me a note at Paul at com before or during the show, and we'll do all we can to answer your questions on the show. If we don't have time, you will still get a response from us. Talking, going back to uh, what you were talking about in the uh, in the market analysis, and you you mentioned about um, gauging things against you know the top performing locations or locations um, for whatever reason, looking at the at the numbers of the successful locations. Let's call them that. So if we're in a new market, let's say Atlanta, would and there was a bunch of franchisees in Houston would you use Houston as the base to determine the uh, successful locations and then take that information and kind of overlay it with Atlanta to
0: get something close? Yes, that's exactly what we do, and we can do that anywhere. We can do it on a city basis, a state basis, a national basis. So um, sometimes brands say, well, we've worked out our supply chain and we want to make sure that um, we can stay east of the Mississippi River. And so we'll map out everything from, you know, the highest point north to the furthest point south, farthest point west to Mississippi, all the way to the Atlantic border, and find all of the markets that are most similar um, in size, type, um, and highest concentrations of of, all, of hitting all of the markers that are identified at the highest possible level. This is why mm-hmm. when people ask questions that it's one of my, my pet peeves I still get from brokers today or, or from, from brands is, well, what's your minimum population count? I said, you can have a million people in a, in a, in a city and not a single customer. That population total number means nothing to me. Um, Mexico city is a perfect example of that. You've got 30 million people and less than 5 million people have the money. So if you're coming into that market and you're just looking at density, you can put locations anywhere. That doesn't mean right. you're going to be successful. So it's really, really right. important when we're looking at any market that we start with some kind of model. If you're a brand new brand that doesn't have existing units, we can actually model the psychological uh, customer base of top performing units of other brands that are similar. That's one way to, 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 to do this. Um and then monitor the sales of that unit whenever it's open to make sure that everything and and reevaluate it as time goes on to make sure it stays stable and constant with the projections that we found. Um, There's different ways you can approach it if you're starting from scratch. So keep that in mind, those of you out there who aren't sure where to go and what to do. Um, These these emerging brands that are out there um, are, are, you know, don't run away from them just because they haven't proven themselves yet. They may have a really great idea and um, just need some, some really great information from a good consulting partner like us um, to make sure that they're, they're using the science in a way that makes sense before making those first steps.
1: Absolutely. Just received a uh, comment because the board said, I'm listening thinking I was going to hear about real estate. It's very, um, it, it's very interesting that we're hearing about the business aspect of it and how real estate ties into it. Thank you. Uh, great comment. You know, I'm looking through a uh, market uh, assessment right now uh, as my company Foundry and Franchise Foundry Retail Solutions are strategic partners, and I get to look at this information you know, quite a bit, and it's really you know, opened my eyes, as I said, from you know, back in the day. And, of course, you know, it starts out with, you know, some very uh, interesting market information, you know, population, uh, where it was in 2010, where it is now, where it's projected to go. Um, But an interesting part of this, uh, and for one particular borough we're working with that has a daytime and a a nighttime uh, attraction, um, it was interesting to see uh, daytime population, you know, listed in here. And a lot of people don't think about, a lot of businesses don't think about that. You know, um, I know right. I'm working with one in the breakfast space, and um, there's they've got a great location, uh, very densely populated residential area, but no businesses in the area. So it's like everybody leaves during the day, and uh, it's been a little difficult. You know, Monday through Thursday, of course, the weekends, you know, people, you know, come from all over and the place is packed. Um, so, you know, that's been an interesting uh, eye-opener.
0: And, the, and then it, it, it yeah, talks, uh, go ahead. I, I was going to say, in the business, you call those bedroom communities. So basically you're only in that the community right. when you come to sleep or have fun on a weekend. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And the other thing that, I found very intriguing about the market analysis. And I I think David uh, Simmons, the uh, CEO of of retail solutions had provided this when we were doing some work out in the San Francisco Bay area uh, for a uh, frozen dessert brand and was the market potential index uh, of showing, you know, basically, you know, the competition and looking at, a um, market potential uh, index. And basically, it was, you know, looking at where consumers were spending more than the national average or less than the national average at each of these brands. And it really was, was interesting that it, we took that information into the business plan because it opened our eyes to some things. And, and some of it, you know, has to do with, you know, consumer behavior and consumer spending, how much money they're spending away from home, uh, how much they're they're spending in restaurants more uh, or 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 convenience or bringing the food home i, I mean i was really really intrigued and then the uh, market analysis goes to you know mapping out the area and seeing where your your top competitors are and the uh the number of of locations so i mean this is just you know great great information uh and then of course for those that are not aware, the market assessment can drill down into, you know, the individual sub-markets. If you're doing the Greater Houston area, obviously it could be inside the loop, outside the loop, it could be Sugar Land, the Woodlands, and each can be looked at uh, individually. This is just a, a lot of great information, Sherry. So I'm going to take a step oh, back you. and say, mm-hmm. in all of this, what are the biggest wastes of time? in exploring a market and
0: why? Oh, well, um, you know, first of all, I don't think there's such thing as a waste of time as long as you're seeking information. Um, but I have witnessed firsthand, and I'm sure you have too in today's society, how obsessed everybody is with social media and having their, their opinion known. And I, what I find um, most often is everybody, of course, has an opinion, and the water cooler talk, when somebody talks about starting a business, just that noise increases to a level that you can't let good information in. You can't sort through it. You can't filter it. Um, years ago, you know, like you said, when people were asking opinions um, about where to go to open up a business, it was an 80% art, 20% science. In today's information age, that's split to 20% art and 80% science. And why? Because businesses and advertising companies are demanding to know more about the consumer. They're using tools like credit card data, cookies on websites, creating apps to make your life easier for free just so they can track anything and everything about you that you do. This way they can target you to buy more stuff and understand more stuff. This translates into your business. So using a professional um, to help weed through that noise get down to the science is going to save you time, which is going to save you money. A um, time if you are working with a franchisor or you are putting up an initial investment with them that they're holding on to while you try to get a store open, the fastest, best way for you to get a store open quickly and make a good decision is to do it with really good information. And to do that, you need a professional. Um, there's nothing that will ever replace the knowledge and capability of a really good tenant buyer, broker, one that understands not just your business. And it's and the, and your the question we had earlier, this translates to that. So often uh, co- commercial real estate agents think that it's all about a real estate conversation. Those agents are typically not uh, uh, focused on tenant and buyer representation because when you're working with tenants and buyers, you have to understand their business for them to make good business decisions because real estate is just another business decision. So that's really, really key, and I think, you know, some brokers don't want their clients jumping in a car looking at sites for locations and sending them addresses and stuff. I don't mind that so much. I want to know what it is you like about something so that I can, you and I can have a dialogue along the way, and I can explain to you, okay, I see why you like that site. Let me tell you why the site may not work for us, and let's talk through it so you understand. That way, when we come to the really good sites, you're going to be ready and excited, and you're going to understand why they were good choices. So it needs to, be a, sure. needs to be a team effort. It needs to be a partnership. Uh, we want to be a resource for you. Um, we don't want to, you know, if, it's, if there are brokers out there, that's not the case where it's one and done, give us the money, we're moving on, thanks, good luck. Um, we're about long-term relationships, and we want you to still like us in five years <laughs> and call us sure. to do that next unit, you know. So um, well, it's really important to have a partner.
1: Right. And, 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 and about the, you know, the relationship, because you left out something with experience and knowledge and everything else, which, of course, is, you know, your network as a commercial real estate broker in the area. Because a lot yeah. of times what I have found, you get a, a, a person looking at a franchise and it drives me nuts when they want to do this ahead of actually committing to the franchise. That's when I have a problem with them getting in the car, driving around, They don't even know what they're looking for. And then they try to get in touch with the property owner, and the property owner asks who they are. And they're not a franchisee yet. They're not represented. A lot of times, as we know, especially when you're dealing with more, you know, regional and national uh, developers, they're not going to give them the time of day. Or if they do, certainly not going to give them the most favorable terms that a professional can help to structure and negotiate. So that's where I find you know, that they waste a, a, a lot of time, and they don't know what's going on in the area. And, and and the big thing that they don't know, they don't know about that piece, that parcel of land a quarter of a mile from this shopping center that's getting ready to break ground and that the anchor in this shopping center is actually moving to that shopping center.
0: That's right. It's that, that local market knowledge of being – I mean – we we I, I mentioned earlier we do this uh, in multiple countries. We do it all across the U.S. And every time there is a local market broker with local market knowledge that we have developed a relationship with that's helping us on the ground uh, with that very information. Um, I'll be talking yep. to a client in New York about a site in a small town in Alabama. He'll ask me about a specific property, and I'll have an answer for him. He's like, how do you know that? I said, that's my job. <laughs> I have yep. to know that it's what I do. So um on the really street, boots on the ground.
1: Yep, mm-hmm. that's right. Yep, very much. So, Sherry, is, is there a different approach when, uh, let's say, a, a franchisee or even the franchisor isn't is searching right out of the box from multiple locations at the same time or in anticipation? Of very rapid growth.
0: Uh, yeah, um, you know, that, this is where we would take a model. If, if you know, there weren't existing brands uh, or units open, um, we would we would take a model off of um, a similar concept um, with a similar similar type of customer uh, pool that we're trying to achieve, and we would do that. Um, it these studies can be done fairly quickly. Um, And in in terms of fairly quickly, you know, some some, like the studies for Mexico um, as a country, we were able to do those in a good week. And we were able to not only define where all the competition was, look at market saturation, look at unit sequencing priority, you know, which is the priority and timing of opening units, um, and do that in very short order to be able to hand it to the -the boots-on-the-ground brokers that we work with to make sure that Um, They have all the tools they need to get started very quickly. And this includes, you know, doing master development um, uh, plans, drilling that down then into a multi-unit developer plan where you've got a a very large um, entity that can purchase and open multiple units at the same time, and then which order they should open and how to divvy those territories up without leaving money on the table. Um, Good example, Houston, Texas huge market, um, had a client that went to that market and decided to sell all of Houston to one franchisee, and they only had to open up five units in five years. Houston is massive, geographically massive. It's one of the oh, largest yeah. geographical areas of any large city in the U.S., and in addition to that, you have lots and lots of density there. It's it's constantly competing about whether it's going to be the third largest city in the country. Um, or move up, you know, from there. And so what what needs to happen is th- before somebody gets too excited about selling off a franchise to a particular market, they need to meet with somebody like us who can say, look, you can do as a brand, you know, 45 units in this market, um, which with some brands, that's not unrealistic for Houston at all. I have clients with some right. fast food concepts that have, um, you know, more than 100 units in a market. So – Oh, absolutely. Uh, really, yeah. yeah. So it's it's really um, important that they're not tying up the whole market or an area that's too large for one franchisee to develop in the amount of time that it should develop to take advantage of the market conditions that have been projected. We're dealing with five- and ten-year projections. So you want to open up units as quickly as possible. That should be the goal. Um, but you want to do it strategically so that you don't create a problem with having units open and fail, open and fail, open and fail. And we have to, you know, we've all seen that happen where a brand will come into the market and explode really fast, and then all of a sudden it has to do a major retreat because either operationally things were off or they didn't do these first steps. They didn't have the whole map in place and just started grabbing what was available on the ground today.
1: Yeah, and a franchisor a lot of times doesn't realize that by just appeasing the new multi-unit franchisee by giving them a large market like this is actually putting them one foot in their coffin because there's no way they'll be able to keep up with any type of development schedule if they were awarded, you know, a city the size of Houston or even a city the size of Austin. And, and of course, it is detrimental to the brand as well. You know, a great example of that was Dunkin' Donuts. Um, I remember... Moving down here back in 1990, I guess, and of course coming from the northeast, uh, I was in San Antonio for a while. But coming from the northeast, you know, we we had a lot of Dunkin' Donuts locations, and we found one mm-hmm. in Houston, and oh, we were ecstatic and thought, oh, they're coming into the market. Well, after a while, finally talked with the franchisee, and uh, nice gentleman, very open and transparent. And he said, I bought the rights to Houston, um, it was like five or six years ago, and it's all he had to do was open one unit every five years. Mm -hmm. But fortunately, Dunkin' Donuts put a 20-year cap on it. After that, the market was open. And, of course, if you look at Houston now, uh, which probably now 22 years later, there's Dunkin' Donuts every place. So think right. about what that did to the brand. I mean, it was just a local donut shop that had a name that some people knew about.
0: That's right. That's a great example. We see that happen, and we see um, the mistakes that are made, and some are correctable. Sometimes we've even been successful because it's not that the franchisee doesn't want um Uh, to to continue to stalemate the health and development of the brand. Sometimes they don't understand the impact that the agreement had. And there have been instances where we've been able to assist franchisors with coaching franchisees about having the benefit of the brand developed properly in a market and be able to come to a new agreement on how to restructure that brand. Um, It doesn't happen often, but in some cases, People are willing to be reasonable and realize it's really a benefit to their company. You're talking about uh, compounding the marketing dollars, right? The more sure. operators and owners you have in a given market, the more money is being spent on the brand itself marketing it. That helps everybody so um, uh, it's not just about being worried about competition from other brand from the same brand coming into the market with a different operator. It should be, hey, guys, we're all part of the same brand. let's all be successful. Um, and and great, but would you carve up these territories properly? And let's get down to business.
1: Yeah, and I, 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 without a doubt, without a doubt, I, I, I totally agree. And I know because I work with a lot of startup and emerging brands, and of course, a lot is driven by the almighty dollar. I mean, obviously, that's why we're in business. And for a young emerging brand. Uh, They're looking for that next dollar, especially in the way of development. And, for instance, they might have 15 locations they've developed over five years in Houston, and this is their core, this is their headquarters, this is their backyard. And somebody raises their their hand. I call it the Bangor-Main syndrome. Uh, Somebody from Mm -hmm. Bangor-Main says, oh, I want to open up three units, and they jump at it, not thinking about um, how are they going to, you know, support them, how are they going to be branded in the marketplace? And what typically happens is they they award that franchise without even thinking about what the market will bear. And if the franchisee is successful, uh, he, he or she claims that they're successful by their own right. And if they fail, it's because of the franchise or as well, if right. all of a sudden, you know, mm-hmm. somebody says, I want to go into, you know, Atlanta. Oh, it sounds great. You know, we'll start in Atlanta, but, What is the plan to go to Atlanta? How many locations will you have? Do you want this one franchisee being in there by themselves and there's 15 others of the national, you know, the leading national brand that they're competing with there? Um, Does this franchisee have the financial wherewithal to open up multiple locations? Or do you have other franchise candidates in the pipeline that maybe you can accelerate and focus on that area? and get to the point of being able to open up five within a relatively short period of time. And this is where, you know, real estate and franchise operations has to dovetail together. They can't be looked at as, you know, different components that do not talk to each other. Uh, They have to talk to each other. Sherry, as we're heading down the stretch, I'd like to recognize uh, another one of our great sponsors, Fund. Uh, Recently named one of the top franchise funding providers by Entrepreneur Magazine, FranFund crafts insightful funding strategies that help solidify the dreams of franchise ownership while positioning franchisees for long-term success. FranFund is able to accelerate the funding process so clients can move forward even faster, and that's because they have an in-house lending team. Learn more at FranFund.com. Sherry, you've certainly given us a lot to think about. I know in my mind, I'm running with all kinds of titles for uh, different shows, you know, uh, real estate (laughs) and operations dovetailing together being one. Do you have any additional advice for, you know, candidates or or franchisees exploring a new market and and maybe even for franchisors, you know, considering and or entering uh, a new market?
0: Yeah, the, the biggest piece of advice I can say is don't assume that another brand's success or failure in a location will make or break your brand. Dig deeper than that. Ask questions. Get quality advice from experienced and qualified advisors. Um, very, very often I'll see uh, I'll have somebody ask me, hey, I found this location. I know that uh, Starbucks or, uh, you know, another well-known national brand is, is doing deals here. It must be a great site if they did that site. That's how I need to make my real estate decision. This is where I want to be. And I've seen many, many brands fail next to a Starbucks. I've seen many, many brands do very good to a Starbucks. It's not the other brand's success or failure that is going to make your business. You can get great synergistic um, advertising and, you know, passively advertising by being next to another brand There's some big benefits to being in an area that has good synergy of other um, uh, types of of restaurants or operators that will bring your same customer base there, no question, those are good things to have. But make sure all the pieces fit as well. Um, Don't think, you know, that you have to rush in to make these decisions. Um, Just because there's something not available today where you need to be, sometimes you need to wait. Um, That's really, really hard to do in business. Um, but it's something that is a really big, critical piece of the pie for making sure that you're making the best use of your capital, the best use of your time and your energy, and you're entering the market in a way that you're set up for success and not going to be one of those businesses that's going to close in the first year of operation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I kind of chuckle to myself when you mentioned about Starbucks it's- Recently, we had somebody say, oh, my God, you know, it's got, you know, 30,000 cars a day or a week, you know, going in and out of there. And um, until he stopped to realize that, like, 70% of them only went through the drive-thru, so the people never got out of the car. That wouldn't help him at all.
0: hmm Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sherry, there's thanks. There's a reason again. that we ask you. the questions we do.
1: <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes it's the it's the obvious things that get overlooked. I really appreciate you being our guest again on Franchising and you and of course really appreciate the uh support that you and the rest of Retail Solution uh provides. Franchising and you without you and uh and other sponsors, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing today, which is just, you know, great things on a on a daily and a weekly basis and Look forward to really helping uh, a lot of people. Thank you very much.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I I couldn't be happier to be here to help you and your listeners, and would would absolutely love the opportunity to do so again. If if anybody has questions for me, please don't hesitate to go to our website at retailsolutionsre.com. Um, you can find out more information about what we do and how we help people. Um, I'm on there. Um, all of the, the people we work with on there. You can find out more about our analytics division. Um, you can find out more about the clients we represent and work with. Um, there's over 300 brands on a local, regional, national, or international basis that, that we work with, and we'd love to help you.
1: Well, thank you. Does anybody out there ever wondered if they have a franchising mindset? In the October issue of Franchise Dictionary Magazine coming out in a couple of days, you can read about the Franchisee Mindset in my Franchising 101 column. Also look for great articles and valuable information throughout the magazine and also share it across social media and on the website at um, magazine.com Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for including Franchising in you as you explore the wonderful world of franchising and business ownership, as we say, dream it, wish it do it. We're excited to be part of your quest towards franchise success. Have a great day.